Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 48, following along with lesson 46, Ether chapters 12 to 15. And before we begin, I wanted to ask, how did you enjoy President Nelson's message on Friday? I personally thought it was so powerful, the prayer especially, um, it hit me hard. I thought it was so cool to be able to listen to a prophet pray for all of us and for the world. The antidote that he prescribed, I think, is just so important, and and I know it can work. And uh, I, I really think it's awesome, especially the challenge that he issued to to share and give thanks on social media. It's just awesome to be able to get on and then be flooded with positivity and not the negative messages that I've been, I personally at least, have been witnessing over the past couple months. And so it's nice. It's a nice change of pace to be able to get on there and just see everyone being so grateful, showing what, you know, posting what matters most to everyone. And often it's it's family, it's testimony, it's faith. And I just think it was, I just have such a testimony that we really do have a prophet who is the mouthpiece for our Heavenly Father, who can deliver those messages and... If we give heed to the prophet, we will be blessed. And to me, I mean, because because I've had I've had faith in the prophet as long as I can remember. I, like I really, that was something that I don't think I personally ever struggled with. And I I look back through my life, I have been greatly blessed because of my testimony in the prophet, and because I really have just always had a testimony that the things that the prophet shares with us, the things that he tells us that he's inspired to share with the world comes from Heavenly Father. And so because I believe that and have faith in that, I've seen my life greatly blessed. And I thought Friday's message was just amazing. And because I know I'll forget at the end of this podcast, I just want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I hope however you're celebrating, because I know it's, uh, you know, it's difficult times and there's just a lot of restri- restrictions on how we celebrate. I hope however you're celebrating, however you're observing Thanksgiving, that it, you have just a blessed one. That it really is just a great time. Um, if you're able to gather with family, I hope you can do so. And if not, I hope that it's a time to recognize and give thanks for your loved ones. And and just, you know, on the mission, I always had to remind myself this because um, if, you, if, you, if I haven't said it, I had a really tough time, especially in the beginning of my mission with homesickness. And it didn't go away for a long time. I, I mean, I think it was the last six months where I just was not homesick at all. But up until then, I did struggle a lot with homesickness. Um, and especially in the first first three months, um, if I've never if I've if I have never shared the story, I almost went home. I almost called it quits. Called my mission president and asked to get a plane ticket home. And it was a dear friend, uh, a missionary out there who bore his testimony to me and helped me stay. And I'm so grateful for him for that. But uh, it was 
it was on the mission that I was reminded, I was taught this lesson that if you're homesick, <clears throat> what you can do is recognize and give give thanks that you have something to be homesick for. And, uh, and that did change my perspective quite a bit because I was so grateful to have a family that I did miss, that I did love, and who I knew loved me. And, you know, there's a reason, <laughs> there was a reason to want to go home. So even in our trials, even when we're in difficult circumstances, we can always change that perspective and recognize that, um, that we have so much to be grateful for. So I hope you do have a fantastic Thanksgiving, however you're celebrating. And just hope it's, it's, you know, it's the holiday season. It's a time to be with family, to be with friends, to be with loved ones. And I know that that's not always possible. But however you however you're celebrating, I do hope it's it's fantastic. And I, I want to say that now because I know for a fact I'm gonna forget by the end of this. <laughs> so now now you have my well wishes and I feel better. Um if you have not seen President Nelson's message, I would encourage you to go and watch that. It was only 15 minutes long. It was actually like 13 minutes, I think. And just a perfect message for this. I mean, definitely for this week, thinking of gratitude, but it's true. I've seen this in my life that every time I'm negative, every time I'm down, if I am able to switch it and just be grateful, it changes my whole outlook on life. So it is a it is a true antidote. It's not just a Hallmark gift card. It actually works. And and I know that that he was inspired to give that message from Heavenly Father. So with that, let's get into the introduction. Ether's prophecies to the Jaredites were great and marvelous. He told them of all things from the beginning of man. He foresaw the days of Christ and the latter and the latter day new Jerusalem. And he spoke of hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God. But the Jaredites rejected his words. For the same reason people often reject the prophecies of God's servants today, because they see them not. It takes faith to believe in promises or warnings about things we can't see. I love that. Just as it took faith for Ether to prophesy of great and marvelous things to an unbelieving people. It took faith for Moroni to trust that the Lord could take his weakness in writing and turn it into strength. It's this kind of faith that makes us sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. And it's this kind of faith by which all things are fulfilled. So yes, this lesson is pretty much entirely on faith. And if you didn't know this, if I haven't said it before, my favorite gospel principle to study, to discuss, to ponder is faith. I'm actually... Um, for a couple years now, I've been researching to write a book one day on faith. We'll see if it ever happens, but I do have just pages and pages of notes and thoughts and, and insights on on the topic. And hopefully, with all of that, I can at least give some thoughts, on, <laughs> give some inspired thoughts maybe, on what I've learned, what I've seen, what I've observed in my life about the topic of faith, especially because it's such a prominent, um, it was such a prominent thing in this lesson. So getting right into it, in Ideas for Personal Scripture Study, in the first chunk, Ether 12, it says, faith in Jesus Christ can lead to mighty miracles. So uh, especially in chapter 12, uh, I, my, my chapter 12 is just highlighted verse by verse with all the things about faith, the lessons that I gained from this. Um, but here's a few that I wanted to talk about. And, and first, I think it's important to talk about Ether and his character which to me is some is like highlighted in verse 2 of chapter 12. It says, And Ether was a prophet of the Lord, wherefore Ether came forth in the days of Coriantumr, and began to prophesy unto the people, for he could not be restrained because of the Spirit of the Lord, which was in him. How cool is that? Like, how incredible is that? He could not be restrained. 
And my question is, how can we pattern our lives after ether to be able to, that to be that same thing to be said of us? And spoiler, it comes in verse three. It says, for he did cry from the morning even till the going down of the sun, exhorting the people to believe in God unto repentance, lest they should be destroyed, saying unto them that by faith all things are fulfilled. Um, <clears throat> a big thing, and this is important, I'm going to say it right away because I'm going to reiterate it over and over again through this lesson. Faith is not just a belief. Faith is not an idea. It is not something you can just say you have. I mean, I suppose you can, but that's not true faith. Faith is an action word. It always, from my from my observance, it always requires an action, even if that action is to is to sit still. Um, I can't remember which scripture that is, but it's like, it's like it's what is it? Sit still. It's not sit still though. Whatever the scripture is, it's like sit still and know that I am God. Like that's an action though. It's still requiring an action. But every time that faith is exercised, it actually requires an exercise of such faith. That's what I've observed and witnessed. And I think there's a, especially amongst young people, as because I think as we get older, like the lessons of life hit us hard and we learn that. We, we get, gain a testimony of faith as being something that we actually have to put into action. And then those that don't, those who don't exercise faith or, or do something about their faith, you see them dwindle in unbelief. Those who do exercise their faith, those who actually put it into practice, I think they learn that lesson just through life because life is hard. And it requires us to act in accordance with the faith in our beliefs. So I think that's really important. I want to highlight that right now off the bat. Otherwise, all my all, all other things on faith are null. And I just don't think there's any wisdom I could offer other than that. So with faith, all... And, Let's see how many times I can say faith in one podcast, uh, which is actually part of the question <laughs> in this uh, in this chunk. It, it mentions highlighting every time the word faith is used, and and it's a lot. It's a lot in chapter twelve. It's actually a lot throughout this, but definitely in chapter twelve. The thing I want to point out from this specific uh, chunk is where it says faith is things which are hoped for and not seen, and you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. And so that's where I say that, I mean, that's another example where I say that it's definitely an action word. You have to do something about it. It's not just like, well, I believe this is going to happen. I'm just going to continue believing and expecting something to happen. You have to do something about your faith. And like I said, even if that is sit and be patient and just have that faith. Um, often though, I, to me, at least what I've read, what I've seen is when I was supposed to just sit still and relax and be patient I had a spiritual inclination that that's what I was supposed to do. It wasn't just like me being lazy. It was, and it was actually, it took a lot more patience not to do something. Um, so that really was me exercising my faith. In verse 18 of chapter 15, it says, And neither at any time hath any wrought miracles until after their faith. Wherefore, they first believed in the Son of God. From there we learn that faith always precedes the miracles. If you want a miracle to happen, expect that you're going to have to exercise some measure of faith first. So if in your life you want a situation to change, get on your knees, pray, and ask how you can exercise your faith to change that situation. And, uh, and I'm not kidding. I've, I've done this with every single, uh, anytime I've sought after a miracle, anything, I have, I've gone on my knees, I have asked God what I can do about my situation, how I can enact my faith, and what process... 
And I don't always get the, the answer right away because it is a process and it's a learning process of how to exercise faith. But I have deep faith in the process of faith that as I've communicated with God and I have humbled myself and often that that, that itself is a process of going through, of, of becoming humble and truly accepting any answer that he'd give me. As I've done that, he has taught me how to bring about miracles and he's the one bringing about those miracles, but I get to be a tool in his hand as, as that happens. And so I have, I have a deep belief um, because I've practiced this a lot through my life that anything that I want to change or to enact my agency to, to bring about a miracle, I get on my knees, I ask God and believe that he will show me the way, especially as I'm, as I'm humble and willing to do whatever it takes to enact those things, and it helps when those are righteous desires, because <laughs> that's what he's wanting us to do. In verse 19, it says, And there were many whose faith was so exceedingly strong even before Christ came, who could not be kept from the, within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with an eye of faith, and they were glad. I want to have faith to remove the veil. Like, that's genuinely what I want. I, I want, in my lifetime, to have such strong faith that the, I can remove the veil from my eyes. How crazy would that be? And what I think, what stands out to me is this is not a, like, just a few people, a handful of people have this ability. We all have the potential to exercise our faith to such a degree that we could remove the veil from our, our minds. And why don't we... Why don't we set our sights on that more as as a, as a people? Why is this not taught? It's in the scriptures. It's in Ether 19. How come we aren't talking about this in Sunday school? Like, how are we increasing our faith to be able to return to live with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ again? Like, we talk about that in such a general term, but we don't talk about, like, right now, today, how can we exercise on this, on this, on this process, down this path? I think we 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 do not recognize or act in according in accordance with the knowledge that we have. I think we don't set our goals or our sights high enough. I think we just believe like I don't know as a people we just I I just don't feel like we talk about what we have in front of us like what the gospel truly can do for us and what we can do in the gospel. Um, I think we set limits on our faith, which is weird because I think it's a natural thing to do. Like, well, I could never, I mean, I personally could never remove the veil. Yeah, you you personally couldn't, but you certainly could exercise your faith to such a degree that, similar to the brother of Jared, right, where he exercised his faith that he couldn't be held within the veil. Like, his faith was so great. And how did he do it? He wasn't just like, this miraculous child, he just, he listened to the promises from Heavenly Father, and then he acted on them. He acted with faith. And we can do that same thing. That is what the scriptures are here before us, and I, we are not taking advantage of the scriptures. It's like we take it as a prescription of like, well, this will help. The scriptures will help our life. Faith will help our life. But do we recognize that, that the potential here, if we learn from these, if we're enacting in our life every single day following the commandments and 
seeking the will of God in our own life and then acting upon it, that he will guide us back to his presence. And we don't have to wait until we die. He will guide us to his presence as soon as we're able to enter there. And I just, I mean, for me, this is what I get frustrated in my life personally. So if it sounds like I'm just getting frustrated, it's because I'm frustrated with myself. We have this before us and we have the answers. We have this roadmap through the scriptures. And then we just don't take full advantage in our life. I, I know I don't. I definitely don't. That's why I, every day I try to do better and better. And I've, I keep, uh, I've gotten really good in this year, in 2020, of setting goals and achieving them. And it's just such a small step. And I want to do more and more. And it's funny, as you achieve, I found this with, with my life, that as I set some goals and then I achieve them, it makes me hungry to set more and achieve more. And I'm just like, in my head, I, I'm like, I have so much potential to to set higher goals, to achieve more than I ever thought I could achieve. And especially the goals where it requires faith, like the spiritual goals, the the ones of like, there's no way this would be possible to achieve unless Heavenly Father blesses me to achieve it. Those are the goals that I am just hungry to achieve. And so, um, I mean, I don't know at what point do I put write the goal down on paper because once you write it on paper, it's real. But I do want to have that goal to have such faith that the veil would be removed from my mind. And maybe I just need a little bit more faith to write it down. Because <laughs> like I said, once you write it down, it's real. But knowing that we have the potential, every single one of us, you, me, anyone, that if we, if we act in faith and we act in accordance of the commandments and in the gospel, truly, we could, we could receive the same blessings as, as those who, as those prophets, those great men and women who they believed, they acted in faith, and then they saw the product of that faith. Like, I want that. I'm hungry for that. And I hope, I hope you in your, your life, like you recognize that our potential is so much greater than, than what we can see with our own natural eyes. I'm learning that more and more. And, and as I, as I kind of figure out small bits and pieces here and there of, of what my potential truly is, and I quit letting uh, mortality kind of keep my sights in, it really does just fill me with, with a passion, with a drive. And, and as I overcome difficulties or, or my trials, stumbling blocks, and, and I rely on the Holy Ghost, as I do that more and more, it's like, there are days where I'm like, what can't I do? And then I have to be quickly humble and be like, no, no, what can't I do with the Holy Ghost? Because there's a million and a half things I can't do personally. But with the Holy Ghost, it's like, what can't I do? And so keeping that in perspective and being humble, those have been patterns that I've recognized and and uh, like I said, as I keep understanding and learning keys of, of how to, to achieve this faith or, or unlock the mysteries of heaven, as I get more and more, it just makes me so much more, I don't know, full of life about it. It's like, it's like I want to live up to the expectations that God has for me and not what anyone on this earth has for me. In the next chunk, Jesus Christ gives us a more excellent hope. And... Uh, this just alter this just alters it a little bit. It's, it's essentially the same kind of uh, 
exercise they had with faith, just with hope instead in chapter 12. And what I want to talk about here was on my mission, President McDonough, my mission president, he, uh, he asked us a question at one of the district meetings or whatever, zone conferences, sorry. And his question was, what is the relationship between faith, hope, and charity? How would, how would that look? Like if we were to, to write it down on paper, if we were to diagram it, what would that look like? Um, does, does faith beget hope? Does hope beget faith? Where does charity come into play? How do they interrelate? Does, does one start the other or do they all begin at the same time sort of thing? And he just posed that question, not out of a particular anything to accomplish, just kind of like a study topic. And, and I think that's actually where I really started getting deep into learning about faith um, as well as hope and charity, but, but primarily faith. And so it was through verse 4 in chapter 12 where I think one of the answers stands out to that question, which is, Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith. So there's the one where hope comes of faith. Make, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. So hope, our hope, comes because of our faith. As we have faith and as we, like I said, it's not just having a belief, but exercising that faith as we do so, that gives us hope. And that hope leads us to Christ, becomes an anchor for our soul, making us steadfast, always abounding in good works. And so, President McDonough, wherever you are out there, <laughs> I actually know where he is, but I, I, I would be shocked if he's a listener. But uh, there is an answer to a, what, seven-year-old question? I, I was pretty proud that I found the answer to at least that one. And the next chunk, in uh, it says, Jesus Christ can make weak things strong. And uh, and I'll, I'm actually going to read this, this chunk, at least a little bit. Uh, the first paragraph for sure. It says, when we read Moroni's powerful writings, it's easy to forget that he worried about his weakness in writing and feared that people would mock his words. But God promised that he would make weak things become strong for the humble. And the spiritual power in Moroni's writings is convincing evidence that the Lord fulfilled this promise. And then skipping down to the third paragraph, it says, As you ponder these verses, the following insight from Elder Neil A. Maxwell may be helpful. When we read in the scriptures of man's weakness, this term includes the weakness inherent in the general human condition in which the flesh has an incessant impact upon the spirit. Weakness, uh, weakness likewise includes, however, our specific individual weaknesses which, are expected, which we are expected to overcome. And indeed that is true. So the two verses that stuck out to me was in chapter 12, verse 23, where it says, And I said unto him, Lord, the Gentiles will mock at these things because of our weakness in writing. For, Lord, thou hast made us mighty in word by faith, but thou hast not made us mighty in writing. For thou hast made all this people that they could speak much because of the Holy Ghost, which thou hast given them. So I want to point out that here Moroni feels like his words were weak compared to the Jaredites, where... It's kind of an unfair comparison since the Jaredites were writing in the language of Adam, the language given directly from God from the beginning, and he was writing with Reformed Egyptian, which had changed and altered over the years. So, of course, he's going to have a weakness in writing in that regard. But I look at what I write in my own personal journal, and it's nowhere near what the Book of Mormon is. So, 
Don't know why he's complaining about that weakness. But also, and this is just like a, my own insight that I was thinking. So I'm a writer. That's what I do for, for work. And I always think other people's writing is better than my own. Like I'm always my own worst critic. And so part of what I see from Marona is I'm like, you're just being hard on yourself. But I also, I, I mean, I understand and I get it. And a lesson that I pull from this is that Moroni couldn't force the gift of strong writing from God. We are all allotted gifts, and the gifts that we don't have, we're able to work for and exercise faith to receive. We are commanded to, to seek out the best gifts. But we can't just, you know, expect to be naturally good at something that we weren't blessed to be naturally good with. You can't force spiritual gifts. You have to work for them and exercise faith in them. And be grateful for what you've been allotted. And so that's something where that stuck out to me, that lesson. And then also, um, you know, he was worried that the Gentiles would mock, and we'll talk about that in verse 26, which was the second verse that stuck out to me. And it says, And when I had said this, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Fools mock, but they shall mourn, and my grace is sufficient for the meek, that they shall take no advantage of your weakness. And that right there, that fool's mock, that sticks out to me. I'm listening to this uh, Psychology of Success by Brian Tracy. He was a, well, he still is, but a um, public speaker and psychologist who talks about, you know, success, unlocking success in the brain and the mind and being able to live up to our full potential. It's, it's kind of a cool, like, thing I'm listening to right now. But he talks about how you cannot love someone more than you love yourself and how we get worried because we're like, what if people judge me for my work? What if they make fun of me or whatever? And then he says, those aren't the people, the people that make fun of us, the people that put us down, tear us down. Those are not the people that we should be seeking to get their approval because we'll never receive it. Um, those who truly love us are those that are filled with love, with good feelings, with actual skills, with gifts. Um, those that are great at something, they, they have the confidence. And when you have confidence, when you have true confidence, not arrogance, you don't have room for, for mockery or for putting people down. When you truly love yourself, there's no room in your heart to put other people down, no matter what. And I've thought about that as I, as I reflected on my own life, because I, I hate to say it. I've been a fool. I've mocked people. I've put I've put others down and um, torn other people's efforts down. And when I really take a like a reflection on why why have I done that? Why have I ever torn other people down for anything? Often it was either a situational thing, like I was having a bad day and I was just in a bad mood, or I was jealous that I wasn't as good, or jealous of someone's uh, their efforts that that they were rewarded for something or whatever it is. But it was never because I never mocked when I was feeling truly confident in myself, ever. Anytime that I'm feeling my best, never once have I ever torn someone else down. And so I reflected on that quite a bit, that the people who I want to be like, the people who I want their approval, would never mock me anyway. And we all have bad days, but true confidence, true that true, uh, I don't know, the examples in life are the ones who they recognize their relationship with their Heavenly Father 
And they don't need to tear other people down because they recognize that there's plenty of love to go around. Truly, there's not a limit on love. There's not a limit on good feelings or praise. There's just an abundant, infinite amount of love, praise, and good things. And that all comes from God. And so we don't need to tear each other down. And it doesn't mean we need to un- like praise unnecessarily or anything. It's like you don't need to tell your kids they're special all the time when they do bad things or when they're naughty. Like your kids, like not that this is like a personal example or anything, but like you come out after a work meeting to find cereal thrown all over the house. Like that would probably be a poor moment to be like, you guys are so great. <laughs> Maybe it'd be a good moment. I don't know. I'm figuring these things out as I go. But what I do know is that when we are filled with the love of God, and when we truly are confident, confident, and when we have, uh, when we have the spirit, that we don't mock, we don't make a mockery of things, and so that's a good indicator, I think, of of where people are out are at. If someone's tearing someone else down, I think it says more about them than it does about the person they're tearing down. In the the last section, or excuse me, the last chunk of this section, rejecting the prophets brings spiritual danger, and. That is true, but more so than that, in uh, some insight that I got, and it was just from, well, it was from two verses, but the first was in chapter 15, verse 3. It says, he began to repent of the evil, this Coriantumar, he began to repent of the evil which he had done, and he began to remember the words which had been spoken by the mouth of all the prophets, and he saw them, that they were fulfilled thus far every wit, and his soul mourned and refused to be comforted. We, uh, we don't have to be like this, brothers and sisters. We don't. We do not need to experience what Coriantumr felt, which is true sorrow. He felt genuine, true sorrow. Couldn't even be comforted because he, he knew that he had... It's almost like a... Like a Darth Vader moment when <laughs> Darth Vader realized he had spent his whole life and he could have just changed one decision... And been able to be a good dad to his son, Luke, and Leia. And his daughter, Leia, sorry. But, no, you know, like that moment, it's uh, it's like the Romeo and Juliet moment. It's the tragedies where if just one thing would have been different, just one thing would have changed, the whole outcome of that story is different. It's, it's why tragedies are tragedies. It's because... Usually hinged on one moment, one decision, one point, and if they, if the person in the story would have just done the one thing different, if they would have just listened, they would have just not made that bad decision, whatever it is, then everything would have turned out all right. And that is what Coriantumr was feeling. He all he had to do was listen to the prophets, exercise faith, and change, and 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 this outcome could have been different, but he didn't. And he felt such true sorrow, and. Uh, guilt and all of that. Brothers and sisters, the beautiful thing, and here's the beautiful message that we can learn from that. We do not need to experience such true sorrow because we can learn from his example of what not to do. And that is what I personally am going to do is learn from that example. And the other verse is in verse 34. Now, the last words which are written by Ether are these, whether the Lord will that I be translated or that I suffer the will of the Lord in the flesh, it mattereth not. If it so be that I am saved in the kingdom of God, amen. That is a beautiful, beautiful testimony, beautiful closing testimony. And it's also incredibly tragic. The book of Ether is one of the saddest books to me. Um, 
almost as sad as the the closing of of the Book of Mormon because it's it's a record of this people that they went from this just numerous covered the whole land group of people to complete extinction within a matter of four or five years and it's a terribly sad story um worse than that it's not just a story it really happened this is a real history and and it's just incredibly sad uh, I, I i think of it if if i knew these people right if this was a group of people that i knew how sad i would be and it was because of bad decisions it was because of lack of faith they they rejected the prophets they chose to to literally reject the prophets and the spirit and the holy ghost they lost everything and then to the point where when their king is trying to make a peace deal with the other uh, king, I guess. I don't know what Shiz would have been like called king, I suppose, or leader or group, whatever it is, that the people were so filled with hatred that they'd rather kill each other because the spirit was completely gone. Like they are just filled and completely under Satan's control. How incredible. Like it's, it's just, it's so insanely sad and uh and miserable that it just doesn't even feel like it could be real it, it does not feel like that could actually ever happen and yet it did and so what a tragic what a beautiful testimony from ether and yet filled with such a tragic and sad end you know it's also wild that coriantumr the way that the book of mormon is written obviously that coriantumr was chilling with with the uh the nephites well the group in zarahemla right uh, not the Nephites yet, but chilling with a group in Zarahemla after this. He was the the final, the last survivor of the Jaredite people other than Ether, who we don't know what happened with him. Maybe he was translated or maybe he just lived in solitude for the rest of his life. If I had to guess, I would uh, I would honestly guess he was translated, but I don't know, obviously. But... It's just kind of crazy how the, the Book of Mormon is written like that. Uh, from the I, from the section ideas for family scripture, study and family home evening, there's only one thing I wanted to talk about. It's in the last chunk. It's Ether 13, 13 to 14, 15, 19, and 30, 30, 33 to 34. But that last line, it says, what truths, do we, what truths do we learn that can help us avoid what happened to them? It's talking about, essentially, I'm just continuing on for what we were talking about in the, uh, the personal study part. But that's an important question. What truths do we learn from the Jaredites that can help us avoid repeating what happened to them? I think the insights that you have from this, from that question, will help you in help you understand what you need to do in our life now. What it helps me know what I need to do in my day to day as a citizen, and um, what stands out to me most is that bad things happen when good people fail to act. When good people fail to to stand up for what's right, when they fail to stand up for righteousness and for God, and I don't want to be someone who allowed the same fate that occurred to the Jaredites happen to to any people, but especially the ones I live among. So, so what truths do we learn? That's a question I'll leave with you. I love this improving our teaching. This line specifically says, well, I'll read the whole thing and I'll tell you what stuck out. It says, encourage questions. Children are naturally curious. Sometimes you might see their questions as a distraction from what you're trying to teach. Instead, see questions as opportunities. 
They are an indication that children are ready to learn. They give you insight into your children's concerns and how they feel about what they're learning. This uh, this stands out to me as a dad, but I think we can alter it too. In Sunday school lessons, I've seen this where the teacher is so concerned about what they're teaching and what they want to be teaching that they totally miss questions that maybe a, a, a member brings up that like they just kind of shove those questions aside. So as a teacher, it's important to recognize that a, the mark of a great teacher is not what they taught, but how they interacted with their students, with their pupils. And if the students came ready to learn, but it wasn't necessarily what the teacher was ready to teach, and yet the teacher is able to shift their teaching to where the students are at, that is the mark of a great teacher. So if you're in a Sunday school class and you are the teacher, take that into consideration, that it is not the mark of a great teacher from what you teach, but where you're able to go for your students. Something that I I am working on learning, actually. And like I said, definitely trying to apply that in the home. Some verses that stuck out to me that weren't in this lesson. The first one was in chapter 12, verse 39. It says, And then we and then shall ye know that I have seen Jesus, and that he hath talked with me face to face, and that he told me in plain humility, even as a man telleth another in mine own language concerning these things. That's just such a casual, like, <laughs> just bringing that up casually. Like, and then you'll know. That I, I've seen Jesus, and I talked with he talked with me face to face. Like, that's just like, uh, uh, how do you put that in a normal conversation? You know what I mean? Like, oh, by the way, <laughs> so last Tuesday, <laughs> I just, I don't know, I, when I read it, I literally wrote down in my notes, I was like, casually. In chapter 13, verse 2, it says, For behold, they rejected all the words of Ether, for he truly told them of all things from the beginning of man and after the waters had receded from off the face of this land. It became a choice land above all other lands, a chosen land of the Lord. Wherefore, the Lord would have that all men should serve him who dwell upon the face thereof. And I wrote that the, the reason it had become a, a chosen land, a, right? it had been baptized. The flood was the baptism of the earth. And I think, I think most everyone knows that. But just in case, something that stuck out to me and I wanted to bring it up that the earth was baptized and the earth will receive the Holy Ghost, the same in the millennium. It will be burned with fire. And we are trying to prepare ourselves to withstand such fire. Sounds so matter of fact. And finally, in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And now there began to be a great curse upon all the land because of the iniquity of the people, in which if a man should lay his tool or his sword upon his shelf or upon the place, whither he would keep it, behold, upon the morrow, he could not find it. So great was the curse upon the land. I deal with this curse all the time. It's called attention deficit disorder, and it's the worst. So that curse apparently was not lifted entirely from the land, or maybe it's just shifted to people. But I'm telling you, that is exactly what ADD is like, is that you put something somewhere, and you're like, I'm going to remember that I put this there. And then all of a sudden, a week goes by, and you're like, dang it. I know I put it on this shelf. And then it does not help if you have small kids, because... I'm telling you, I already have ADD, so I'm used to losing stuff and then being like, well, it's probably because I just can't remember where I put it. And then I'll find out that Flynn or Maggie took something that I had and they put it somewhere else. Or Alexis will take something because she was quote unquote cleaning and then move it somewhere entirely different. And let me tell you, I can relate to these people. I can empathize with what it was like to have a curse upon the land where you put something and then you can't find it again. And that's all I have to say about that. Once again... I did remember. Have a, have a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have just a great week. And thank you for joining me in this family room discussion. 
And please share your ideas, questions, and insights that you gained from Ether chapters 12 to 15 with me. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.